Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello, everybody. It is just after 8 o'clock on a Wednesday, uh, Wednesday the 13th of October. So this is Midweek Motorsport live uh, at Series 16, Episode 40. There is some football on tonight. Actually, I've just remembered that we're playing in the Papa John's uh, Trophy tonight against yes. Man United under 21. Also windscreen um, shield. So, uh, the what? Also windscreen shield, yes. Yes, well, yes, whatever. It's been called down. We're the holders of that, so I'll ha- I'll not have you taking the you know what uh, out of uh, out of the uh, out of that. Which Except European co- competitions that qualify you for this year? Uh, that would be none. The only way that we'll get into Europe is if we declare war on France. Which, in fairness, there's there's half a chance of that. Uh, let's I mean, be you fair. could relocate to France. <laughs> well, yes, absolutely. Um, Just kidding, Joe. But. Bradley. <laughs> There's a whole story behind that. There's uh, the BBC Football don't have our uh, our scores on it. I'm very disappointed. Um, however, let's take a quick look. Maybe they're trying uh, to the alleviate your disappointment. Well, could be that. Um, nil nil, five nil, five nil. Uh, those both full times. Those five nils and nil nil. Uh, there, just you know, thought you. Might need to know uh, that. Uh, Tim Gray, as you've heard, is our executive producer. He is up in London. And on a packed programme tonight, we have what, Tim? Uh, We have all the usual features. Uh, We'll be talking to someone we haven't spoken to in a while. uh, And yet someone whose voice you hear every week on this station. Oh, very good. I like what you did there. Uh, It is Richard Crail. We're to the second half for that. Yes, he'll be coming up. up early. He'll be coming up in the second hour of the show, um, due to the fact that it's currently uh, half oh, well four in the morning. As well, well, they've just ch- no, they've just changed the times. They've gone on to daylight saving times, but they're on a half hour from us now in South Australia. Don't yes, I, I don't understand it at all. It's yeah, actually half past five, though, it. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, don't don't try and work it out. He's speaking to us from the future. It's as simple as that. It all dates back to the colonial times, apparently. <laughs> don't don't even go don't even go there. All right, so Creelsy talking all things Australian and also telling us what's on on the grid this week. I hope as well. Uh, shall we do that after nine o'clock? Yes, we'll do right. that when it's half past six in the morning for Creelsy. Okay, seems well. Uh, Nick Damon will be here with his team Hooray! by team. Guide to the <laughs> Turkish Grand Prix at the weekend. The Grand Prix of Constantinople. Istanbul. Not Constantinople? No. No. Um, I've done that one for a while. What else do we have? 
Um, uh, we we yes, have the Visit Cayman Islands. We have some sports news. news. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we need to talk about DTM at the weekend. We haven't spoken about <laughs> DTM pretty much all season, but uh, <laughs> they they've chosen to have their season finale at the Norris Ring, and um, I could have told them that that wasn't going to go well. And uh, I, I can't didn't. even, I can't even begin to. I watched that live, actually, and and delayed me watching the start of the Grand Prix. Actually, so I watched that. I was not in a good mood by the time I started watching the Grand Prix. Well, don't worry, because you probably fell asleep. Uh, no, I didn't actually. I didn't mm, for a change. Uh, too much anger in your blood. Indeed. And uh, we'll have Irked. some rallying, we'll have some bikes. Um, uh, that pretty much covers everything, I think. Should no I do Jay some parish notes? Though. She's, oh, okay, uh, right. she's going to Indianapolis. Uh, shall I do some parish notices? Yes. <laughs> I did shout at the TV a lot. For DTM, an awful lot. Uh, Kevin Payne is looking forward to listening to the show tonight, hoping for some explanation into why we're seeing some great, exciting races at the moment. Not complaining, and I hope it continues, but love to know what the secret source is. Um, well, we can't tell you that. It's a secret, Kevin, obviously. All these coming in on at uh, Specutainment, of course. Right turn, lover. EFAs for listening. I'm favouring the dulcet tones of a female relative, but I'll catch up on the podcast. Hope it's all is well on that score. RTL, right turn, lover. Uh, EFAs t- oh, no EFAs tonight from Brody. Hello, Brody. He's making up the last 9.44 panel to be welded in this evening at long last. And uh, wants to know what we think about Kevin Harvick uh, at the uh, at the, uh, at the Roval. We might have time for that a bit later on. Um, hello to Otter, FR. Um, didn't win the stereo from him earlier on. Didn't really understand the question that he asked me in fairness, but can't go back now. Didn't give him the answer on the card. Ian McCarthy is AFA this evening. Looking forward to some mid-morning motor porridge. Not nearly as catchy. Yes, but it might catch on. It really might. Uh, Ian, thank you. Uh, hello to Porsche Sport. Uh, they're racing in Porsche GP Sim Racing at the moment, so we're catching up in the office tomorrow. And who was it? I need to scroll back down. Uh, AFA is tomorrow for the Colonel. Catching up on the podcast. Uh, um felt sorry for Liam Lawson after the demolition derby at the weekend for DTM uh, hello to Alistair Lindsay um, somebody told me that they were practicing in an NSU at uh, a very um, what's the word I'm looking for unusual racetrack that was built on a NATO arms dump um, in virtual terms uh, obviously as well so that's why they weren't here tonight uh, and I can't find the tweet now I'm very annoyed sorry Kevin Glass looking forward to enjoying the show on a long drive after an epic three days at Canadian Time Motorsport car can't get enough of pitching the car in at turn one while at full throttle on a Honda excellent work uh, James O'Donnell looking forward to the show great coverage of VR at the weekend tuned in on Saturday popped in the BTC meeting on Sunday uh, really enjoy the support races especially the Carrera Cup British GT's there this week and we've got a British GT story coming up mm. as well with a special guest Jake Parrott's listening if he thought the uh, um, Porsche Cup was exciting he should have uh, watched the Janessa Juniors 
Janetta Junius was outstanding. Always is, though. Uh, Jake Parrott's listening, prepping for nine days of market work, selling the good booze from Philadelphia to Maine. Got, got the whole of the 2014 Nürburgring 24 hours locked and loaded for the drive up, back and around. Excellent. Well done. Uh, AFA's from Brody Volston Holmes. AFA can't listen this week, recording this radio, this Friday's radio show uh, from my tornado shelter in Hot Springs, Arkansas. See, that does sound like it's some kind of cartoon thing going on. But, Brody, we wish you well. Uh, hello to Alan Prosser, nil-nil at half-time. Thank you, Alan, for getting I have found that now. Uh, Dave Alcock, hope everyone at Houndoff Towers keeping well. Yes, everybody at, uh, at Casa Vosier doing OK as well with uh, Tim. Sitting down with a large coffee, looking forward to this week's show. Pop Kid Paulie. Oh, that's a new one. Macam's nil-nil down at half-time. Um, <laughs> very good. Uh, Real Shim Glakey, uh, what, what are you doing? Son's present to turn eight, so he's going to have a career in motorsport. He's going to have to learn the things hit with a hammer. Yes, very good. Like that. That's sensible parenting. And hello to Sarah Rigby, who's with us tonight. Looking forward to packed show tonight. Off to Donington, British GT decider. Uh, I think we might have a bit of Aston Martin news tonight as well, since there was a championship clinched at the weekend. Jack Martin's playing the show. Uh, through the car on the way to work. Uh, and Stiggy Marley. Lots of new people t- tweeting tonight. Urrens after work. Forced me to miss midweek motorsport. I'll be saving this one for tomorrow's practice session. Uh, evening all. Uh, says Mark O'Baronsford. Uh, now, what's that about? I'll get back to that in a moment. In fact, I'll open that in another uh, tab. And I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, and... Anybody else who knows me uh, at Spectatorment. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Well, we're going to start with some Formula One news. Hooray! I wasn't really introduced, so I'm saying hooray, perhaps prematurely. And joining us for that, as you may have heard, is Nick Damon. Hooray for, for me, possibly. Anyway, hurrah. Uh, let's start uh, with uh, something that we've spoken about before, uh, oh, but which has obviously taken a big step forwards, and this is uh, Michael Andretti buying Sauber, uh, with the two teams appearing to m- have a meeting scheduled ahead of the Austin Grand Prix. Yes, yes. We, well, actually, I think I actually said I didn't think he was going to buy Sauber. I thought he might buy Haas, but um, apparently he, the the finance company who bailed Sauber out, who I think were called Longbow Finance, but are now called something else, obviously, because finance companies change in every 20 minutes, uh, and also paid for Marcus Ericsson's drive and then carried on bailing Sauber out to eventually own Sauber, are possibly looking to divest themselves of that investment. And there is Michael Andretti waiting to give them some money from the Andretti Investment Fund and uh, put two and two together. And we're going to America next week. So it's obviously going to be a massive announcement. OK. Uh, nothing more to add on that? Well, yes, apart from that, none of that may happen. Um, because the point about it really is, is that as I, I think I've banged on about this for uh, the last six uh, motorsport, so I apologise. Due to the ridiculous dilution of 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 what's it called dilution of value thing, which means any new new team has to pay two hundred million dollars to come in. Um, 
obviously it's given a kind of a false worth in some ways to the existing team. So they are, and, and I think the, the bid that Andretti was looking at was like 260 million for 80%. Um, but the other thing about it is with the cost cap and things coming out, um, F1 teams, the 10 of them, are getting worth more. They're an, for the first time ever, rather than a millstone, they're an appreciating asset. So the question probably for, for Longbow Finance, or whatever they're called now, I think it's something else, is actually, is this the right time to sell? Or are they actually selling at the wrong time of the market? And should they actually hang on to it uh, a bit longer? Because the next people who want to buy it, and there's people sniffing around, you know, like Porsche and Audi, who might want to become a race team rather than just provide engines, would pay significantly more. And these are financiers. So I don't think it's as done deal as it says, or it may cost Michael and his uh, investment firm a lot more cash. And which driver's been linked with moving to Formula One if uh, Andretti does buy in? Well, Colton Herter, but that's not going to happen. Well, not, I, I said it's not going to happen for next year. There is still a seat open at that team next year, isn't there? Yes, but there's also a man called Gang uh, Zhou um, who has money coming out of every orifice from China. And having uh, Mr. Joe in the car would uh, be uh, very lucrative. It's one of the reasons, actually, also whether the, um, you know Longbow might carry on because they, yeah, we're under cost cap next year. They know how much they've got to spend. They've got Alfa Romeo money. They've got um, Joe money. Uh, they've got Mo money from uh, F1 on a proper season. You know, they they could have very easily uh, turn turn an actual, real, genuine profit on the year. So, do you want to sell a profitable company that's actually increasing in, in value? Not unless you get a very, very, very big um, over-the-top uh, valuation, which so far I don't think Michael's paying. But, you know, what do I know? I'm just some bloke in Milton Keynes. I'm not a high-level financier. And if uh, Guan Zhou has uh, all this money, why doesn't he buy the team and race in it himself? Um, I don't think he's got that much money. He hasn't got the keys of Mazepin money. He's got uh, sponsor money rather than daddy money. Um, and the sponsors obviously have a few million here and a few million there and a, and a few million more uh, beside so the difference between a few million and billion. So don't forget, all our, all the little boys who've joined F1 are sons of billionaires. A millionaire is not enough anymore. We're going to be a billionaire to get in. Um, so that's the difference. Millions and billions. How much does it cost to buy a seat in Formula One these days? That's a really good question. I think it depends on how rubbish you are and how, how good the team is. Um, I think that... Um, who's buying a seat at the moment? Uh, Nicholas Atifi is supposed to be paying about, I think, is it $12 million, I think? $12 or $14 million? Not too much, really. Uh, Lance Stroll is actually being paid, but his dad paid millions and millions to buy the entire team. And uh, Nikita Mazepin's dad isn't paying enough because the man's a liability. That uh, is Nick Damon's opinion and not the one of uh, Midwick Motorsport. Or the I think Dish it is. Limited. I think it is. I think it is. Uh, who struggled to stay awake during the Turkish Grand Prix? And don't say John. Uh, people with people with sleep apnea. No? That's what I'm looking for is uh, Max Verstappen. Right. Well, it's quite important to stay away because he was in second um, the entire race. I think that's possibly an exaggeration. Can't help feeling that if you are driving an F1 car, even if you're not going forward or going backwards, it is probably enough to keep you awake. Yes. Uh, he said uh, he was struggling to stay awake when asked what his biggest challenge had been during the afternoon. and then added, <laughs> he's, a, he's a cheeky little minx, isn't he? <laughs> actually, managing the tyres. Oh, so really he, well. even he changed his mind. and Even he thought, yes, no one's going to believe I was struggling to stay awake. Mainly because it's quite wet and cold as well. And it's very hard to sleep when it's wet and cold, isn't it? I mean, this is not the weather that I 
expect to see in Turkey, even though it's pretty similar to the weather we had in Turkey last year. That's months later, though, isn't it? I mean, you've been to Turkey on holiday. Nope. I've only been to Turkey on a You've been to Turkey while storm. being diverted from a exactly. war-torn uh, and, area and weather, of the Middle East. And the, weather, and the weather was grey in Drizzly. Was it? That was January. Yes, yeah. it's not the greatest advert for, for Turkish weather, but in fairness, yeah, they haven't really got in the holiday season. Uh, who is going to miss some uh, races uh, towards the end of this season? Oh, uh, obviously one of the team managers. Yes. Um, Mattia Benito, because he's... Benotto is correct, yes. He's Benito. They do seem to do better when he's not there, doesn't he? He's probably noticed it as well, actually, yes. So, um, yes, he's, he left um, Lawrence Mikils, or Mikis to, uh, to do... Who even did the kind of chatting on the pit wall to Sky thing in the new friendly world of Ferrari. No more Richard Allen, he'll have you round the back and murder you with a stab knife. Uh, they're now being all friendly and cuddly, Ferrari. Uh, now, who... Uh had a ride in a Formula 1 three-seater yesterday at Fiorano. I have absolutely no idea. Oddly, I don't keep a tab on, uh, on, on, on rehashing old Arrow's cars. Uh, well, it was Pascal Leclerc, the mother of Charles Leclerc. Uh, and Arthur Leclerc. Yes. Um, Arthur wasn't there, unfortunately. Um, uh, but his girlfriend Charlotte was there, and four of his best friends as well. And he was just trying to get around. So how come they own the Arrows three-seater now? Or was it one they cobbled together? Uh, no, Ferrari uh, have this uh, three-seater. Oh, cobbled... so... Yeah, I'm still not sure. I... They obviously all cobbled these things together. <laughs> I mean, it's in the same configuration as the old Arrows one. But is it, what's it running, like a V8 or a V10? It's very uh, old. From the very few photos I have, it's very hard to see. Um, I think it's it, I mean, it obviously if you know, an engine. Um, if you could tweet us that, uh, on uh, on at spectator, that'd be really interesting because I would because these the, the, those the whole three seater two seater. I mean the original um, two seater, which was Stoddard's, was a two thousand arrows, wasn't it? That got got cobbled together. Even I think it might be a two thousand and one arrows, and then the arrows one was also a two thousand and was a, was a more bespoke car. And I don't think anyone's built a new one since then, have they? Well, Paul Stoddard's got a f- whole fleet of two-seaters, hasn't yes, he? Yes, it, it converted a lot of things to two-seaters, yes. Um, um, wasn't there a Tyrrell that became a multi-seater at one point? May well have been, but again, that's back into the late 90s again. So so if you know of the most modern car, of which a multi-seater, but in F1, obviously um, uh, IndyCar have got um, their two-seater, they take rides out the start of the race, but in F1, has anyone built a multi-seater F1 car more recently? Let's give them the benefit of the doubt, 2005. Who thinks that Formula One is going to fade into oblivion? Um, and rightly so, says Sebastian Vettel. Uh, it is Sebastian Vettel, yes. Um <laughs> But then he what he actually said was if if they you know if Formula One doesn't uh, you know, go with the times and match green credentials and carry on moving ahead with uh, sustainable policies, then then it'll fade into the distance into memory. If it carries on being super and at the front and being relevant, then it'll be fine. Formula One aiming to be net zero by twenty thirty, uh, net carbon zero by twenty thirty, and uh, Sebastian thinks that's not enough. I mean, it's not really, is it? I mean, it's not it's not like I haven't got enough money to plant a load of trees. You know, it's not the hardest thing to offset carbon. The carbon's most of the most of the flights, of course. The actual fuel, which they're going to go, they're going biofuel next year, aren't they? Sixty-five percent renewable fuel uh, in the mixture. 
Um, but you know, the actual amount of fuel an F1 car burns is, you know, right, if it gets to 100 litres of fuel or 105 litres of fuel, but you know, that's a lot less than three of the cars driving to the track to watch them. And, and there's a lot more than uh, than 60 cars to and from the circuit. So, you know, it, it, that's tokenism. What the offset really is against all the travel. Which team has announced today that it's going to become climate positive by 2030? Jeez, I didn't see that because I kind of I know there's a climate summit happening soon. I kind of get a bit glazed eyes about the whole thing at the moment. Uh, this is Williams. Okay, well done. That's good. It's very marvelous. Super. Uh, Yost Capito says Williams is a pioneer in Formula One and the racing world and has a strong heritage developing Formula One technology and transferring it to the EV and sustainable transport and energy sectors. Yes, they We're do. We're living in a time when our planet and society is changing faster than ever, building on the progress a global motorsport industry has made on sustainability in recent years. We've taken time to thoroughly analyse our entire operation and develop a comprehensive purpose-driven sustainability strategy to accelerate a sustainable transformation. Um, and the key bits of this are um, they're launching a comprehensive purpose-driven sustainability strategy. Right. Uh, the strategy will be was developed over the course of last year, aligned with key global initiatives. Uh, Williams has signed the UNFCCC Sports for Climate Action Framework and gained FIA three-star environmental accreditation. And the detail is very, very thin on the ground. No, really? Yes. <laughs> um, in fairness, I th- no, I'm not going to take the making. It's very laudable um, to to do this, and obviously, people need to get there. I just still think about the fact that the Chinese are building coal-fired power stations every other week. So you know, let's keep on going. See what we can do with our sustainable fuels. I can't find any other Formula One news. Uh, really, you can't find any other Formula One news. No, it's probably because it's, it's yeah. It, uh, Wednesday, and uh, we've got we've got a week off before we go to. Yes, uh, we have. They're, Austin, they're, they're not. Thank you. No, for I, that. one of the, one of the top pictures we had um, from uh, from was the picture of the of the freight being loaded for Alpha Tauri. Whoa, top Instagram news that is a freight loading picture. Yeah. Uh, obviously, everyone does have to go to uh, Texas. Uh, so, moving on to other news, and may have been postponed due to COVID-19, but finally, we are only nine days away uh, from the start of this year's Rwanda Mountain Gorilla Rally. Oh! Hurrah, bay, Fantastic! The <laughs> fifth round of the African Rally Championship. And next week on Midweek Motorsport, we will have a full preview. You will not want to miss that, will you? I Nick? want to be involved in that. No, I'm happy with it. The, the Rwanda Mountain Mountain Gorilla Rally is is the is one of two rallies well, the, well, you know, that actually count and are important. Indeed. Uh, will you be back in the second hour of the show uh, with your Formula One team by team review of the Turkish Grand Prix? If you ask me really nicely, please. please. All right, then go on. John. It's all—it's all about him, isn't it? It is all about him, really. Nick, so go and have a lie down in a darkened room. It's one-one now, by the way, and uh, one-two in the other uh, EFL Trophy game. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. <laughs> uh, we're in you. Shall we do a bit of uh, Cayman? I- visit Cayman Island Sports Car News, Tim. Yes, let's do that. 
I, I want to talk about not just the news itself, but the way that the news broke for the next story. It's quite a big story, actually. Yes. Um, we now know the identities of two, for definite, I mean, we could have guessed, but we now know for sure the identities of two of the Porsche Works LMDH drivers. Which now, is interesting you... because we've had a press release about the identity of one of them, uh, where the identity of the second one was mentioned, even though I never got a press release about him. About the first one. Now, mm. the, this is, so that was about René Rast, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, so René Rast announced this morning, and apparently Nico Muller's also part of the team. Well, Nico Muller announced it on his Twitter feed, I think it was either yesterday or the day before, and said, I'm really happy to, t- to be able to tell you I've been confirmed as an LMDH driver tumbleweed from everything and then about an hour later Porsche had a tweet out Porsche newsroom now nothing against Nico Muller I think he's very worthwhile ready rust as well but it strikes me Tim that that's not normally how it works did he get the wrong date for the embargo being lifted <laughs> I don't know maybe I should have looked at his tweet uh, more closely when it came. It was a bit un-Porsche, in fairness. But it's, listen, it's great news for both. Um, more, I'm sure, to come. I, I I can't believe... Actually, here's, here's a little... Oh, yeah, you see, I've just thought of something there. Kind of putting two and two together and making a lot more than four. Um, I think there's going to be some leaked pictures of a Porsche LMDH out soon. And I'm guessing that the two drivers' helmets that you'll be able to see in those uh, pictures will be Nico Muller's and René Rast's. There you go. There's a little thing. I'm just seeing it, seeing it right now Mm. here on Midweek Motorsport. Uh, Very interesting. Very interesting. Porsche were out testing at Monza this week in what is generally assumed to be the new GT3 um, 992, which will be what they call the 992 GT3R. That is the GT3 version of the car. Uh, interesting, very interesting that they feel the need to bring out a new car with only, um, what's it, 22, 23. Uh, two years left of the current regulations. Um, so was it really a GT3? Was it a GT2? Mm, who knows? My friends at Porsche are being quite tight-lipped about that uh, at the moment. And, oh, and by the way, I've got I've got some carbon carbon uh, negative news Ooh. for you in 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 our sport. And this is ju- this is literally hot out 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 hot off the press. Well, hot off the fax machine. Uh, in a late change to Algar Pro, Race, uh, Pro Racing's roster. Ferdinand Habsburg and Richard Bradley in the Drive Fast Act Faster number 24 Origa 07 at Portimao in a couple of weekends' time will be joined by. Dum dum dum! Sophia well, Flush. Sophie Green, Sophia Flush. Yes. Um, did she start? She started in Janetta Junior, didn't she? Yes, she did. Well, um, she started uh, doing something well, in Germany. The ADAC uh, Formula, Formula Fear, possibly. F- yes. 
Yeah, so she's going to Portimao and she said, I know the Portimao circuit well. I raced there earlier this year. The high downforce LMP2 setup will be new to me because we were only uh, able to run the Le Mans kit in the WEC. So that's going to be the biggest change, but I'll get used to it and give performance throughout the race weekend. I would think it would make things a bit easier for her. Uh, she's been doing GT3 machinery in DTM, uh, LMP2 in the World Endurance Championship uh, as well. And of course, the... Um, carbon negative aspect of this is a, an undertaking by the team and by Ferdinand Habsburg and Richard Bradley. Uh, they're cutting down the... They've even changed... Uh, uh, Stu Cox was telling us they've even changed their suppliers of their team uniforms to recycled uh, material. So really well done. And they're taking smaller trucks uh, on single car trucks and things like that to the track they're really making a difference so that's one for Johnny and Gigi in a couple of weekends time and Richard Bradley um, of course will be uh, even more carbon negative by taking the train everywhere mm-hmm. he loves trains that, he does like trains he's another one of like Johnny isn't he uh, he's uh, two more one now, obsessive by the way, than Johnny one two. is he yes. always has his Bradleys with him does he Bradbury's sorry yes with him yes um uh, interesting. Very interesting. Uh, where would you like to go now, Tim? Uh, we're going to stay with some uh, Cayman Island sports car news. Right. Uh, and uh, you mentioned that this weekend is the uh, visit to Donington Park, the British GT Championship. That's their season finale, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, and we have news from the British GT Championship and news of a new... Entrant, I believe, uh, which will be in a Bentley uh, with the return of Tolman to the championship. Well, delighted to say that Chris Tolman is with us here on Midweek Motorsport. Welcome to the show, Chris. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Uh, it's, a, it's an absolute joy. Um, for those that don't know, explain what... Tolman Engineering and Tolman Motorsport have been doing before we talk about what we've actually got you or because you guys have been around for ages and you and I share a love of all things Chrysler and Tolbert and Peugeot, particularly Avengers, Sunbeams, um, 205s, Lotus Sunbeams, etc. But that's, that's, I mean, you've got a name for that, but that's just a part of your business, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's like you say it's a passion for me it's something that i grew up with it's it's inbred within me um my father worked for a roots dealer back in the 70s and early 80s and and that's sort of where i grew up but growing up within that environment also meant i grew up with rallying um and instilling in me the the ethos of you know you do your preparation in the workshop and you you win at the weekend you don't lose it in lose it in the workshop so that got me into high-level motor racing and motorsport. Um, and then 14 years ago, my job situation changed, my health situation changed, and I started my own business. Uh, that business then grew, and in 2012, we started our race team, um, which started off with a, a fairly mundane little Ginetta G20. Um, and within a few years, that changed to a GT4 Ginetta. Um, the following year... We then ended up with a GT3 Ginetta, um, and then we got into McLarens. Um, a year running that, 
and doing quite well then resulted in a in a three-year deal to run the driver development cars for mclaren automotive limited which was pretty amazing for a for a small shop that's that's now grown in rural warwickshire um and then up right up until the pandemic which which put the kiboshes on all that in 2020 um so However, now you've come back strong and and the reason yep. we've got you on here is that um you are starting um, a, a relationship again with GT Racing and with Bentley. Yeah, um, a bit of a chance meeting with the guys from Bentley and M Sport uh, early on this year. Um, obviously, with the shared rallying history, of course. Yes, with my, you know my ex being uh, being from Rally Art as well. Um, there's a lot of shared interests and shared personalities. So. Yeah, we, we started talking with them. Um, we've been trying to put a deal together for this year, but it, it's been very, very difficult. Um, and at the last minute, we something's come together so we can enable us to be at the last round at Donington, um, which I'm really excited about. We've got some fantastic drivers with Ian Stinton and Jordan Witt on board. Yeah. Um, and obviously, we're looking to continue that and run something next year with Bentley. Uh, British GT is um, very competitive, so you're jumping into a shark pool here. <laughs> you're right, it is. I mean, in my opinion, it's probably the best domestic championship in the world, uh, having looked at ELMS and, and various other things. You know, the, the standards within British are very, very high. Yeah. Um, I think in 19, we had eight factory drivers in there yep. across the brand. So, yeah, it, it's it's very high. Um the Bentley's an exceptionally good car. Yeah. Um, we've got some great guys on board with a lot of experience of it. M Sport have been very helpful as well. Uh, I know my guys can put a fantastic car together, so hopefully we can we can hit the ground running with that. Um, but we're very mindful of the fact that you know there's it's a short time period. There's no testing, so we'll see how we go. Main main thing is to enjoy ourselves. Uh, hopefully have some pace and uh, finish the race. I was going to ask you why Bentley and why British GT. Um, you sort of answered the why Bentley because of the the link with, with M Sport and with Malcolm Wilson and with rallying. But that doesn't answer why British GT and why now? Uh, British GT, because the client wanted to. Ah, well, yes. Um, uh, Ian phoned me up and said, I really fancy getting back behind the car. I'd like to do the last round of British. I've been doing some other, I think he's been doing Creventic rounds. Yeah, he has, um, yeah. Obviously, with the curtailment of a lot of traveling, he wanted to do British. Um, we ran in back in 16, so we had a relationship with him. Uh, initially, he said, what cars have you got? What can we do it in? And I said, well, actually, I've got Bentley. Uh, so uh, we, we managed to put the deal get together to do it. Um, but that doesn't limit us to what we want to do. I, I'm desperate to go to Le Mans at some point with my team, um, take drivers there. So... I believe we can do anything we want to. You'll, you'll get no argument from me or any of our listeners, I, I presume, uh, Chris, for, for, for that ambition, to be honest. It's a lofty ambition, but a worthy one uh, as well. And still one of the the uh, the great, if not the greatest race uh, in, in the world. Aside from all that, though, it's not like you've been sitting on your adjustable spanners over the last uh, 18 months, two years in lockdown, turned out some beautiful cars, started a new line of engineering on 205 GTIs, including, I'll use the word resto mod, I'm, I'm not comfortable with that terminology. <laughs> uh, to me, it's just 
getting good cars back together, running them, and making some sensible modifications as you probably would have done if you'd owned them in period. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. The the, the resto mod thing sounds a bit weird in my head. And <laughs> once you start talking about modified cars or it conjures up sort of the the American side of things, which is frowned upon in this country, but I don't know why. No, me either. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's what that's what they are. They're, it's a re- it's a restoration, and we've done subtle modifications. So why did you choose the two or five GTI? Because the sixteen hundred that I've I've seen on the socials and on on your website uh, as well. If you look up Tolman Engineering, by the way, you can. There's an awful lot of great stuff there. Keep your hands in your pockets and away from your credit cards or your checkbooks. Because if you're anything <laughs> like me and you're of a certain age, then it's just all going to come flooding back to you. I mean, it was an iconic car in its day. Um, it's sort of went out of vogue for a little while, about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more. You couldn't give them away. But all of a sudden, I suppose people of that certain age are looking back at their youth rather fondly. Absolutely. And that is exactly why we had that car. So um, I had a G-registered Sorento green car when I was 24 <laughs> years old which was my pride and joy. I always had a white 1600 at the time before that. Um, And about five years ago, you're right, prices started to go through the roof. Um, I came across this 1600 Sorento green and thought, I'll have that. And it's been parked in our storage unit for five years. Uh, My manager here and myself went to look at a Clio Williams for a client um, that had been supposedly fully restored. Um, and we were horrified when we saw it at the, the state of it because mm. it was more of a fluff for selling rather than a restoration. Yeah. So we and they wanted big money for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we had a discussion on the way back, and we, you know, we were in the McLaren contract at the time. The race team was going well. We'd just taken on two new members of staff on the restoration side. So we said, look, we've got this 205. Why don't we do a full Tolman restoration on this car? We can use it as a training exercise for the new guys to mm-hmm. do it how we want to, our jobs done. We can use it for media and marketing purposes to what we do on shows. Mm-hmm. Um, we can then see whether it's going to be commercially viable to sell and to do. Um, and we've achieved all three of those. Um, it's gone from a restoration to a resto mod. Um, it is a lot of money for a 205, but they are going for a lot of money now. So that's that's why we chose that one and did it. It it, it was that simple. Um, mm. So yeah. I mean, it is. It's a fact of life that if you're going to do something properly, and I, I noticed you used there. You know, we're going to do it the Tolman way. If you're going to do it properly, and you guys do it never less than one hundred percent, then in terms of the care, the workmanship sourcing the parts or perhaps even manufacturing the parts. Um, in fact, in some of these more um, mundane cars, and I, I don't want people to take that the wrong way, but you know, if it's a Rolls-Royce or a Bentley or an old Aston Martin, there's gazillions of people that you can find either new old stock or they will be turning out cars. If you want to do something new, a Hillman Avenger or even a 205 GTI, I would suspect they find them and saw some parts are a little more difficult. And, and then you've still got artisan workmanship rates to go on it. So restoring a 205 is no different to restoring a, an Aston Martin DB6 in some respects. 
It, you're absolutely right. Um, and your analogy on the parts and the types is correct. And with the work that we've done with the Sunbeams and Avengers over the last sort of six years, you compare that to a Ford Escort where you can buy every single part of that car new. Yes. yes. <laughs> with, the, with the Sunbeams, you can't. You know, you still have to use old window rubbers and bits and pieces like that. Mm. The 205 is slightly better because there's so many more of them. Right. Um, uh, but there, but there is a challenge on a lot of bits, and you know we have three D printed some parts. Um, we have had to have some bits remade. Um, exhaust is a case in point. Yeah. We couldn't get an original exhaust, um, and so we've we've gone down the route. We've made batches of them now, and funny enough, they work really well. Yes. Um, you know when we when we're on the rolling road with them, suddenly you can take a lot more ignition, a lot more fuel in the car. Oh, it really works. I um, wish I'd known because when I cleared my dad's house out when he moved down here a couple of years ago, I had a couple of 205 GTI uh, exhausts from manifold to back box just sitting there because they got sent to me when I was doing stuff on my 309 and, of course, they weren't the, the right length, so nobody came and picked them up. I reckon they probably just went in a skip. <laughs> well, if we if we had crystal balls, you'd have bought, oh. I don't know how many sets of mud flaps because I, <laughs> I, I missed out on a set on eBay the other day and... and I can't remember what I bid, but they went for £175, and that was for a second-hand used set. Of mud flaps? Front mud flaps for a GTI, yes. So oh. look at your loft. If you've got any of those, they're a gold mine. Right. I, I will now relook at all the boxes that are brought, brought down <laughs> from the northeast and see what what bits they are. Chris, let's bring you back to, to Bentley and British GT. You said it's a one-off, it's a toy in the water, but with, with hopes, as you mentioned, for, for next year, do you feel that, that national motorsport at least is getting back, if not to pre-pandemic levels, at least getting back on its feet again in terms of the business of motorsport? I sincerely hope so. Um, you know, we're a, 2020 was a very difficult year. Um, you could see by the people that were in British, it was mostly Silver Silver or pros that were running that had yeah. budgets agreed before the pandemic hit. Yeah. Uh, this year, I think, has still been quite difficult. I think it's I think the stats are something like 80% of the people in British this year are newcomers rather than returning. Um, so I'm hoping that next year we will see some familiar faces back. Um, but people are growing. The confidence is growing. The fact that, you know, we've been approached uh, and we're able to put together a deal to get to get Bentley back out with another car this year sort of gives a bit of confidence that people want to do more. So hopefully that will continue into 2021. Well, it's a great story from start to finish. I wish you all the well, at, uh, all the best, at, rather, at Donington uh, for the last round of this season. And hopefully we'll be talking to you again soon about your plans for next year in 2022 and, and, and beyond. And if I was to pop over, um, you know, maybe with a, a recorder and a camera, just to have a look round some of your roots group bits and pieces, would the, cup, would the kettle be on for a cup of tea? I'm sure the kettle will be on and there's probably going to be a chocolate hobnob there for you as well. Oh, you do know how to spoil people. <laughs> Chris Tolman of Tolman Engineering, Tolman Motorsport. Thanks for joining us on Midweek Motorsport. All the best for this year, mate. Thank you very much indeed. Well, if there's chocolate right, Tim, hobnob- where would you like us to go next? I was just going to say, if there's chocolate hobnobs on offer, then uh, uh, take me along when you go because uh, uh, I do like chocolate biscuits, as uh, I'm sure you're aware. Um Almost as much as Peter Snowden likes jelly babies, which uh, brings us on to 
our next bit of uh, sports car news is in association with Visit Cayman Islands. And that is the exciting finale of NLS uh, oh. the weekend. It's not over till it's over. Or it's in not. fact, it's not even over then. Uh, delayed by fog, quite considerably. <laughs> A couple of hours, yeah. Um, so qualifying started uh, at 11.15 when you'd normally uh, be starting build-up to the race. Um, and the race had to be shortened because it got dark. They still did 3 hours 15 minutes. And it was uh, Danny Brink and Flip Lysen from Adrenaline Motorsport uh, who won the title, having gone into the weekend third in the points. Which is interesting, because they're not in the top class, are they? Because there's this complicated um, point structure that takes into account how many cars are in each class. And the overall winner, much like the old British Saloon Car Championship days, doesn't necessarily have to come from the top class. No, but it is their four, uh, third championship in four years. They won last year. They won in 2018 as well. Hmm. Um, so they're obviously in the right sort of car. Uh, it's a GT4, isn't it, that they've got? Yeah, and, BMW. And, and what I was alluding to in terms of it wasn't over even when it was over was post-race, in fairness... Uh, the guys at the Nürburgring have got it nailed on because the the moment the cars came across the line, they got their 34-second penalties and therefore uh, the top three changed um, right literally at the end of the race or, you know, a couple of seconds after the the end of the race. So Frank Stippler ended up winning the race with his teammate from Phoenix Audi. Yes. Um, which was, uh, I was, I was kind of keeping an eye on that whilst, doing other things um, because we had other things to talk about but um, the advantage of having a very large screen now that I can put something in the corner uh, of it Um, yeah very interesting and a decent season and well done to all for getting that done Um, by the way I need to go back Uh, can we just rewind this see if this was a recorded program we could have gone back and put this right Um, Nico Muller and René Rust aren't driving for Porsche at all. They're driving for Audi, Tim, aren't they? That's right, yes. Yes. Why I have did you no say clue. Porsche? I have no clue. I've got Porsche on my mind. Make a song lyric uh, out of that. I have no clue. Um, I am a Porsche file, as people uh, know. Um, uh, shall we carry on with a couple of quick sports car stories from the other side of the pond? Yes, now I have no idea what happened at VIR, uh, so tell me. Oh, because you were working at the weekend, weren't you? So yeah. yes, you weren't, you weren't on duty. Lots happened. And we have our first champions of the year. In which uh, championship in is this? It's definitely not in the one that I find the most exciting, but uh, <laughs> are we talking about champions in the Michelin Pilot Challenge? No, we're talking about champions in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship in the Sprint Cup. Ah, of course. Because it was was the last round of the Sprint Cup. Yes, there you go. It was all very tight coming into it. Um, And Ross Gunn and Roman De Angelis with Heart of Racing in there. Number 23, Aston Martin, did enough by notching up a fifth position. They were up and down like the Assyrian Empire. <laughs> they really were. They were fourth 
Uh, they could have done better than that. Jack's Hawk, Jack Hawksworth uh, in the Lexus and Pat Long in the Porsche came together. They could have done better. Ultimately, they ended up in fifth. That was fine because Madison Snow and Brian Sellers in the Paul Miller Racing Lamborghini couldn't win the race, or didn't win the race, should I say. But um, it was very tight uh, at the end. Uh, uh, the team's championship went to uh, Heart of Racing, but the manufacturer's championship, this shows how close it was, went to Lamborghini in the Sprint Cup. Final round, of course, of the overall championship for all of the Ibsen Weather Tech Sports Car Championship. And for the long distance, the Endurance Cup as well, that will be Motul Petit Le Mans in, uh, that's next month, isn't it? Um, in uh, at Michelin Raceway Road, Atlanta. And whilst we talk about what happened at the weekend, more Aston Martin news, and this is not as good as that. Second place in the Michelin Pilot Challenge for the Not Lad by RS1 Racing Aston Martin team, the number uh, 23 car. Yes, it is. Um, Stephen McAleer and Patrick Gallagher, they played the strategy really, really well. Uh, and got themselves up to second position. But post-race tech, the fuel capacity audit uh, that was carried out on that car was found to have the car not in compliance. So they were put to the uh, end of the GS-class finishing order. Uh, the uh, Carbon Audi as well, the Audi GT4, had the same violation. And that car finished down in seventh. So there was a bit of checking going on, and not just the cars that finished on the podium. That meant that Vault Racing by Archangel, that was Trent Hinman and Alan Brynjolfsson, they went up to second. Turner Motorsports, BMW of Bill Orbel and, and Dylan McAvern uh, were on the podium. That means they have extended their lead to 30 points over the right racing uh, Porsche driver, Jan Halen. It would have only been 10 points, actually, if that um, uh, if that DQ, so as it were, Jan has didn't happen. closed the gap, has he? No, other way around. They've, ex- way around. they've, ex- they've extended to 30. It would have only been 10. Yeah. Uh, uh, during the WeatherTech race, uh, how many yeah. times did the safety car come out? Three. How many miles did it do? Ooh. There was quite a long one in the middle where we had about 20. Um, I, the, the answer is I don't know. I could. Uh, it's three and a bit miles. So that was 70. Uh, 60 miles? And it did it all on a single charge. Ah, it was the Porsche Taycan, of course, for the first time ever. Yes, we mentioned this. It was the Taycan Turbo S... And uh, it uh, was the first time that we had seen a full battery EV car. Now, we, we've we done a, a real-world road test, which was a real-world track test, actually. That was that was a couple of years ago, Daytona, Diana Binks uh, and I, along with the North American product manager for Taycan, took the car out leading round Porsche Club of America on their fast laps. And we had an absolute wheel of a time. Great car. Really good car. It was good to see it there. Uh, and the other championship that was taking place at VIR was the Porsche Carrera Cup North America, uh, presented by Visit Cayman Islands. And 
two of the three title protagonists got a race win. Yes. Now, this was very interesting. Um, Should we talk about the first race first, which was on Friday, wasn't it? Uh, Was it? Yes. It was was an upside... I said this before, that it was an upside-down weekend because we had the main race on Saturday. Or should I say we had the... The WeatherTech race on on Saturday. No, and it, yes, it, you did. That's right. Yeah. Yes, Saturday. we did, and it kind of threw things out uh, just a just a little bit. Yes, you're right. Friday uh, for uh, the the Porsches, um, and that one was won by Kai Van Berlo. Yes, Kai Van Berlo, uh, Kelly Moss Roden race in the green and white car, and he uh, Nick he got away from pole position. And basically was never headed. For me, the drive of the race was Sebastian Prior. Not because it was Seb. He had a car. And I don't know what was the matter with it. And they, I haven't spoken to him yet, if I'm honest. So I, I don't know. But I am guessing that they didn't quite hit the um, uh, the setup. Because he was struggling from about... Well, before half distance, he had half an hour to go. I remember seeing in the commentary that he had half an hour to go. By the way, both of the full races are already up on Porsche's YouTube channel and IMSA's YouTube channel. Of course, our audio has been up for a, for a little while. But his rearguard action to take second position and hold on to his championship lead was absolutely outstanding. Absolutely brilliant. I, I thought... Uh, it was one of his best drives, if I'm honest. We've oft, we often talk about people winning races. So, I mean, that made it a Kelly Moss 1-2. It was Parker Thompson who was... Uh, sorry, it was Riley Dickinson who was right up his tailpipes all the way to the end. Parker Thompson came home in fourth. Uh, and Eric Johansson, after a great qualifying, came home in fifth. In prom, Alan Metney won again, extended his lead. And in 9-9-1, it was Matt Holcomb that won there in the Mystery Machine Goldcrest car. And so he extended his lead. Great race. If you haven't seen it, well, we've kind of spoiled it for you by giving you the results, but you need to go back and look at it again because it, if you haven't seen it, it was fabulous. Would you like Lovely. me to talk about race two? Uh, race two, yes. Uh, ah, that one no. wasn't won by Kai Van Berlo. Uh, who was uh, on pole to start with? Did he... Because he won race one, did he have... Pole no, for race two? No, because um, it's on second fastest time in qualifying, isn't it? Or the fastest time in race one. And because there was some dampness, that made it a little bit difficult. It was Seb Prio from pole position. Kai Van Berlo was on the outside of the front row. And I think it was Dickinson and Max Root on the second row. Uh, and then Parker Thompson and Eric Johansson in fifth and sixth, um, but definitely Seb was on pole position, and he basically did to Kai von Berlo um, on the start what Kai had done to him in the first race and, and jumped away. Kai, in fairness, didn't get a good start, and by the time, it's a, it's a 180 degree almost um, right-hander at the end of the, the run down to the first corner at VIR, and then there's a little kink, and then that's turn two. And then turn three is quite a tricky corner. It's called NASCAR corner because in a NASCAR road race many years ago, it claimed a lot of victims. And Kai was being 
pressured by Riley Dickinson and Parker Thompson. And uh, in defending and trying to get back onto the line, he clipped the car behind him and speared off over the wet grass and damaged his car. It wasn't going anywhere, so he was out. He That was bad, um, but he rather disgraced himself by shrugging off the attentions of the medical staff and the EMR safety crew and running back to the edge of the track and uh, flicking the finger at the driver that he thought had caused the accident. And I've got to tell you now, no doubt in my mind, the person that caused the accident was the person that ended up in the barriers. He moved across. Nobody else moved. Um, That non-finish has cost him dearly in the championship. And his Kelly Moss Road and Race uh, colleague um, said Prio went on to win the race from Riley Dickinson in second and Parker Thompson was on the third step of the box. Uh, and again, I think Alan Metney won Pro-Am, did he? No, no, of course he didn't. Efren Castro won Pro-Am and closed the gap down a little bit. And in 9-9-1, um, Matt Holcomb came in ahead of Conor Flynn and extended his lead even further. So it was a double weekend for the Scooby-Doo mystery machine. Great races, both. Worth watching. Uh, should we do some circuit infrastructure news? <laughs> I love the fact that we've got a special uh, part for for um, circuit infrastructure. Yes, fire away. Uh, I'm going to start in uh, Austria. Right. Uh, because turn two and turn three of the Red Bull ring are being taken away. And where are they being taken to? <laughs> Who knows, but uh, it's going to make it a lot safer for bikes, hopefully. Right, turn two is the king coming down the hill from turn one, and turn three is the sharper right-hand corner yes. that, that we had the bikes in the air, the missile attack on Rossi last year, that was now, wasn't it? It they was. They did change the infrastructure to put... Um, some fencing there so that couldn't happen again but they've deemed that that's not good enough so are they rerouting the track completely then uh yet at least to me uh to be explained exactly what they're doing but um why don't they just open up the old track that goes around the back of the hill most of the tarmac's still there they use it for paddock and then they'd come back at that turn three or turn four depending on which way you call it but i call it turn three you'd come back in there and you wouldn't have that issue at all indeed just see uh it would make the lap a little bit long as well wouldn't it yes exactly exactly um, and uh, at spa they're doing some infrastructure work as well. You know more about this, John. Uh, can we have a moment of silence, please? Because the chalet has gone. Yeah, they they've dug up quite a lot of spa recently in various um, in various forms. They're transforming the paddock. Apparently, it's a huge amount of renovation work. Um, Motorcycle Endurance will be back in 2022 with the 24-hour Spa Moto. That's going to be part of the FIM Endurance World Championship. We actually finished uh, last weekend at Most. I watched that. It was a great race. Um, The paddocks are getting their facelift. And it looks like we might yet lose the most dangerous set of stairs at any racetrack in the world. But as part of that, the chalet 
has gone. Um, uh, the red paddock area, part of it is going to go down a full uh, a full level, a one floor. So this is they're going to basically extend the lower paddock and take out some of the other stuff. Be interesting to see how it all happens. But the pad, but the chalet at the top of the hill has gone at the top of uh, Radion. I'm afraid. Uh, Midweek motorsport. Half time, and while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. More of your tweets on at Specutainment, please. Nick Damon will be back with the Formula One team by team. The only thing that you need to know about the Constantinople Grand Prix. Uh, we'll be talking more sports car news as well. I'm sure we've got some more. Visit Cayman Island uh, sports car news. Uh, and Tim is going to make me talk and remember what I watched at DTM. Oh, my eyes, my eyes. Uh, but first, we're going to find out what's on on the grid tomorrow night and talk about all things Australian. Yep, Richard Creel joins us from tomorrow. That's next on Midweek Motorsport, Series 16, Episode 40. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. Right, as promised, Richard Creel to bring us up to date with everything that is going on or hasn't been going on, actually, in Australia. <laughs> uh, first of all, Creel, see, how are you, fella? G'day, g'day. I'm extremely well. How are you? Uh, good, good. And as you know, we've been as, as busy as, as ever, so that's pretty good. Uh, you've been knocking it out the park lately with some very innovative ways of putting a show together every week for on, <laughs> on the grid, whilst you've not had any major Australian motorsport since, what, July time. But the interviews have been great. I mean, that must have been a challenge for you a, a little bit to start with, Krelzy. Yeah, thanks for that. And and we've got to say thanks to everyone who listens through the Radio Show Limited network of channels. We do appreciate it. We get lots of messages and feedback from our international audience, which is great. Uh, yeah, look, it's been... Um, it's been quite interesting trying to find new ways of filling an hour or two a week, but um, we've had a lot of fun. And, and the whole methodology, in case you hadn't guessed, uh, of On The Grid is that we're a group of informed motorsport people. We don't call ourselves experts because we're not, but um, that that we like going to the pub, having a beer and talking about car racing. And if that's what we can get across that kind of vibe on the show, then that's that's what we're all about. So we're, we're trying to keep that going, even though we don't actually have much in the way of um, Aussie motorsport to talk about at the moment. So we've just tried to grab some interesting people. We've tried to do some interesting topics. Like we, one episode a couple of weeks ago, we ran through and listed our favorite places to go and have a pint and a palmy chicken palmy after a, a round of motor racing and our favorite venue, Jack Duggins in Bathurst got a, a mention. And I should hope so. I'm very, I'm very much looking forward to going back there with you at some point in the future. Um, no, it's been great. We've we've just it's a really good outlet. We we thoroughly enjoy it every week and, and we've as a team been separated with distance for a couple of months as well. So we haven't seen each other in the flesh. So right. it's great to hook up once a week and uh, and have a chat about car racing and if we can bring others in for the ride at the same time then uh, all the better. Obviously you've you've still been commenting uh, in your inimitable ways, all of you, uh, on what's going on in the wider world of motorsports. And, and I mm. heartily recommend that anybody that's listening to this show uh, also subscribe to On The Grid. It's dead easy. You can do it from our website or you can do it from 
um, the race talk uh, as well, which is Creelsey's uh, website, um, because th- there, you know, there are nuances of difference of how things are, are seen, just because of what Creelsey said about the the difference in in people's uh, experiences and, and, and attitudes. However, you are going to get some motorsport by the end of this week and, and, and at the end of this month rather, um, and the Repco Supercar Championship is back uh, at the end of October um, with. The Bunnings trade Sydney Super Night to be followed by Sydney Super Night, Sydney Super Sprint, and the Bull Repair Sydney Super Night. So <laughs> lots of... Uh, you get a theme out of that, do <laughs> Four races on consecutive uh, uh, consecutive dates that mm. are all at Sydney uh, Motorsports mm-hmm. Park, which is Eastern Creek to, to you and I and probably most of the people who's listening. But they've at least tried to... In, in, inject some variety. I heard you talking about this. Is it enough variety, Creelsey, to keep people interested? For the Effectively, it's getting to the end of the season, isn't it? It is. So, long story short, the, the irony of all of this is that Sydney is the reason that the championship was basically put on hold in late July when yes. we finished in Townsville because Sydney had a massive COVID outbreak and the state was shut down and then Victoria had the same. So, we they just sort of put their hands up and went, well, there's not much we can do. The irony is is that Sydney's going to be the the state, or New South Wales, the state that gets everything done this year so we can get a championship in. And I want that to happen because it's been a fab year of racing. The, the competition has been great. The stories have been tremendous. And it, it's got all the potential to, to be a real classic by the time we get to the Bathurst 1000 in December. And we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. Um, have they done enough? My personal opinion is probably not quite, but there was only so much they could do within the realms of keeping the integrity of the championship intact. So yeah. by that, I mean, we've had seven rounds. We've had seven rounds to a set of rules that were established before the start of the year, a set of formats that the teams and the drivers and everyone involved, the broadcasters have agreed to and understand and know to, despite exceptional circumstances, to turn all that on its head and start throwing things like reverse grid racing yeah, yeah, or yeah. whatever it might have been, probably wouldn't be the way to go. My, my biggest frustration, John, about it is that Sydney Motorsport Park as a venue has at least two, if not three, different layouts yes. that could have been used. So different track con- configurations. Think of it like Silverstone. You've got the Grand Prix track, then there's the Stowe Circuit, and there's the, the what, the club track, I think, the BTCC is, the, the shorter lap. Yeah, yeah. Um, so think of it like that. There's a really good short circuit at Eastern Creek that is probably takes 25 seconds less than the, the traditional Grand Prix track that they use. I'm a little bit frustrated that they haven't gone to that length of using that. Hmm. But um, at I'm the surprised. same time... Crazy. I'm surprised yeah. that they haven't done that because yeah. the opportunity is staring them in the face for that. And, you know, given the gaps between, it's not as if we're asking to start on one circuit and finish on another over the weekend and do anything silly. Correct. You know, it, it is a question of, of changing some bollards around and... and you know, our lovely marshals all the way around the world, perhaps having to stand at a different marshals post one week to the one event to the next. So, yeah, I, I agree because 
it's a di- it would be a different challenge on either of the short uh, iterations of the track. I've, I've been there. I've had a look round it. Uh, I've mm. sat up, and hopefully the wind was blowing in the right direction and not off <laughs> off the rubbish dump. Um, <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, I so do. <laughs> look, looking down the hill from that end of things, you can see mm. how it plays out. It's a conti- completely. It would be a conti- completely different character of the track. Correct. What it does, though, Sydney Motorsport Park is an incredibly tyre-sensitive racetrack, ah, and especially point. for supercars because they're very heavy cars, and, and the Grand Prix circuit has lots of long-loaded sort of yeah. third, fourth, fifth-gear corners, which yeah. are murder on tyres. So yeah. under the current format, that produces really good racing because you get high degradation. So with the multiple compounds, soft and hard, yeah. and they're introducing a super soft tyre for one of these as well. Um, ah. That that's what Sydney Motorsport Park produces is great varied motor racing like that. Going to the shorter circuit, and the only argument I could think for not using it, going to the shorter circuit removes all of the really fast long loaded corners. Yes. So your tire deg doesn't play a role, and it probably removes a couple of overtaking opportunities. Yeah. But what they have done instead, though, is work quite hard on their race formats and and the timing of races as well, and what Sydney Motorsport Park has got is the best circuit lighting system yeah. in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, the government spent $20 million last year to light the entire circuit. It's the same sort of standard that you would see at the Singapore Grand Prix or Bahrain, Abu Dhabi under lights. Um, it is very, very, very cool. We were, we were there early this year in, in April for a uh, Shannon's Nationals round, and we ran S5000, big banger open yeah. wheelers under lights, oh. and it just it just blew my mind. It was very, very cool. So it looks great. So they've innovated a bit with race formats. They're pushing, I think, five of the races over the four events uh, at night. Mm-hmm. One of them will be on a Sunday night, which is Ooh. brand new for, for Australia, and that's going to be really good for TV. And then the final event, which is the, the Bow Repairs event, will be a pair of 250k races so that will be the Bathurst mm. warm up yep. 500k's in two races the Saturday race will be under lights for 250k's which will be at that place about an hour and 50 so that's a a meaningful race distance with some meaningful strategy and that race event they're given two sets of the new we're calling it the Ubersoft um, but the Super Duper Soft uh, Dunlop tire <laughs> And one for one race and one for the other. Right. And that tyre around there will be two seconds lap faster than the, the other tyre. Yeah, but it won't so that, last. That will throw some riding. No, I don't Well, ex- ex- except for Shane van Gisbergen, of course, who could probably do a, a whole uh, yeah, race stint on it. Yeah, because he's a force he's... of nature, that guy. Yeah. Isn't he yep. just unbelievable? <laughs> uh, we were talking about this in... Uh, uh, Petit Le Mans of in the uh, in the virtual world recently. It doesn't matter in the real world or in the virtual world. Shane doesn't mm. use his tyres. He, he levitates the car, I reckon, just by sheer force of will, and actually makes the car uh, just hover gently off the ground, so the tyres aren't actually uh, getting worn well, down. Do you remember Bathurst 12 Hour 2016 in yep. that McLaren? Yeah, and, and in scorching hot conditions, yep. the way he managed his stint in that car over that race on the tyre was probably part of, aside from the blinding raw speed that that car had, mm-hmm. was part of the reason why they they won that race. Unbelievable. critical to it. He is mm. unbelievable. Um, you mentioned the Repco Bathurst 1000. It's been pushed for the first time in December, uh, running over a six-day uh, calendar now, six-day event itinerary, which is uh, 
another first, I think. Uh, and yeah. there's going to be a lot packed in. So, you know, for those in Australia or who can get to Australia, not everybody obviously can, that's going to be a real motorsport festival, Creelty. It is. It's going to be enormous. And it's basically combining two events. Um, the, the two major promoters got together and said, look, the later we push this event, the better for all of our categories. So Supercars with Bathurst 1000 will be the championship deciding weekend. It probably won't be because Shane will wrap it up before then. And to be honest, just going off track, um, which I know is okay on this show, um, uh, I'm pretty confident he'll wrap it up before that. And I yeah. kind of hope he does yeah. because I just want Bathurst to be a gloves Bathurst. off yeah. fight between the fastest cars to, because normally the championship doesn't play a role when you get there because it's in October You've normally got four or five events Correct. after it to sort the championship stuff out. But as the final round, I, I, I don't like it being the final round. I, I just want the championship to be cleansed. Don't worry about who wins it. Mm. Just go and try and win the great race, which is what that, that place is all about. Um, but yeah, long story short, so the Bathurst International event, which was going to be headlined by a pair of uh, 250k TCR races, um, would also include S5000 at Mount Panorama. Oh, yes. I know, I know. It's exciting. Um, Only in Australia, by the way. Only in Australia would anybody think that A, that was a good idea, B, have the you-know-whats to mention it, and C, get it done. Yeah, why why, why wouldn't you, though? (laughs) Australia's most famous racetrack, wings and slicks race cars powered by Ford Coyote V8s with 560 horsepower. I don't know how you can go wrong, seriously. (laughs) Oh, I can think of many ways that we could go (laughs) wrong. Don't say them. Don't say them. No, 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 no. No, as a spectacle... I, I completely agree. I think it's brilliant. It, I do think it's, it's brilliant. It's going to be great. It is going to be great. Uh, and as part of that, incidentally, um, the Tasman series, that iconic oh. open wheel series that ran from 1964 through to 1975, um, all the Formula One drivers of the era would come down under in summer and race. They do four rounds in Australia and then four rounds across the ditch in New Zealand. Um, Motorsport Australia and Motorsport New Zealand have agreed to bring it back which is tremendous brilliant um two rounds one will be at sydney motorsport park at that final supercar event there one at bathurst but the long-term plan is for that to end up with races in new zealand as well oh. so th- that's going to be cool um but to finish the point on the weekend six days the supercars will run over their standard uh program over four but there's 11 categories at that event so tcr's there gt's there will challenge s5000 uh, Porsche Carrera Cup is there. The whole list of major national level categories will be on that event running over six days. So hugely exciting. I just, I'm chomping at the bit to get back over to that place and um, and see that weekend because hopefully it'll end what's been a pretty challenging year on a, on a really big high. Set your calendars for that, everybody, wherever you are. That starts on November the 30th and runs all the way through to December 5th is the Bathurst 1000 itself. Uh, and for those of you in the UK, BT Sport still covering uh, Repco Supercar Championship, so we should see all Ooh. of those. The the other dates, by the way, um, for you uh, is October 29th to 31st, November 6th to 7th, November 13th to 14th, and November 19th to 21st for that longer-distance uh, pair of events that Creelsey was talking about. In amongst all these challenges, Creelsey... 
for this year. Of course, it has a knock-on effect to next year as well. Mm. Um, it does look like there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel for all of us. Uh, travel is becoming easier. We might even be able to get to Australia uh, uh, at some stage in the future and, and America as well, although we're still waiting to hear when that might be. Hey, we might even still have an Ashes series. You know, I'm not sure of that. That's oh, the, that's odd. That's no, nah, that's happening. That's happening. Nah, we'll see. No, that all got no. It all got. You're trying to talk it down because the score that you I named have. is course I have. pretty average. Pretty average. <laughs> I think we were hoping it was going to get cancelled, fella. I really, that's a different podcast <laughs> yeah. for a for a different time. But running into next year with. with with the Bathurst 1000 running into December, obviously turning around for a new season for supercars and everything that has to happen, that's had a knock-on effect. It, the, the calendar's changed as well. So, so how is how is 2020... I know this is odd, sitting as we are in, in the middle of October, talking about 2022, but we, we have to because mm. nothing happens in a, in a vacuum. How is 2022 looking? Uh, look, I think it's looking reasonable. So Australia is in a better position now than it has been for some time from a, a pandemic point of view. And by March next year, the the common viewpoint now is that we will be able to be back to business as usual as far as running a, a national championship. And our, our seven little fortresses of states will become one country again for the first time in two years, which will be just bloody delightful um it's it's been a it's been a challenge um so yeah the 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 flow and effect is that supercars will start in early march next year rather than february like they usually do so the first event will be the newcastle 500 on the street circuit there which is normally uh, at the the, end of the season of course isn't it correct that was the season finale uh right up to 2019 it was parked last year for obvious reasons and uh parked this year as well so it will return to open the championship next year and that's the first week uh, in march Correct, it right. is, okay. indeed. So after that, what we're hearing about the calendar is that it will look reasonably similar to what was initially announced for this year. So you go back to version one of the supercar calendar for 2021. We're on version 837 at the moment, uh, and hopefully that's the final final change. There's so much red lines through my personal calendar this year, mate. It's ridiculous. Um, I, I think it'll look fairly similar, so... Uh, Sandown should be in there, Tasmania, the band, uh, back, definitely back to Darwin in the Northern Territory. Townsville 500 will be back. Night race at Sydney will stand on its own as a, a marquee event for Sydney Motorsport Park rather than having four four rounds in a row. And then, um, of course, Bathurst will be back in its regular date in October, as it should be, as per tradition. And the only question mark at the moment is where the championship finishes. We don't really know what the final round could be. It could be the Gold Coast, Ooh. which would not, not be a tragedy. That was the plan for Ooh. this year as well. In uh, in November, it was going to be late November. So that may roll around again, that that incredible Gold Coast street circuit could end up being the championship finale. But uh, we're, we're expecting a calendar within two or three weeks, we think. When, when we get back to racing in Sydney, we think they'll drop the, the 22 schedule with a big provisional put across the top of i'm course. sure yeah uh, write in this in pencil on your wall yes, planner correct yeah <laughs> um, use a whiteboard marker yes yeah, so you can rub rub it out yeah. can't have you on without talking about the liquid molly bath is 12 hours as well which is also let's not forget a supercar events mm. and that is part of supercar supercar events um are a, 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 a dedicated part of, of supercars who, who put on other things as well. That is a supercar events uh, race meeting. Um, 
I'm not sure how much of a surprise it was to, to Supercars that uh, at the... Uh, it was a Barcelona, wasn't it, last weekend? Uh, SRO and Stefan Rattel got up and, and said that the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 hours is going to be on the 18th to the 20th of March next year, which is great that they are planning to have it, and we understand why they want to get it as far through the year as, as possible to, to give everybody the best chance of getting to us without having to quarantine. Um, mm. um, obvious, the obvious thing that, that popped up in, in my mind was that's the same weekend as... Uh, WEC on the Friday night at, at Sebring and IMSA on the Saturday during the day, which is would be, with the time change, direct clashes with major parts of the Liquid Molly Bathurst weekend. Also, if you want to get people like Scott McLaughlin back, it's an IndyCar weekend as well. So he's sort of otherwise engaged. Um, Thoughts on that? It's all I'm, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna make any comment on that. Thought, <laughs> thoughts on, thoughts on that. I, 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 one thing I will say, Krilsey, and I'm, this, I'm not criticising anybody here. So don't anybody read mm. into this what's not there. We've not heard anything yet from Supercars. No, you're right. I have many thoughts. Um, yeah, th- there's a couple of couple of trains of thought. To to your first point, did it catch Supercars by surprise? I, I think, to be brutally honest, it probably did. Right. Um, in the past and in my role in the past of working on that event from a, a media and PR point of view is that the announcements have always been very well coordinated. And I, I do know that at some times it's probably been a little frustrating for SRO that it hasn't corresponded with their major press conference that they have every year, like Stefan had on the weekend um, to announce all of their plans for the next year. And I, I, I love the fact that SRO likes to just go bang, 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 bang. <laughs> Here's everything that's happening for the next 12 months. And and as someone who loves a calendar and loves planning ahead, it's great. But there are lots of local elements to take into account when it comes sure. to the, the 12 hour, including not the least of which making sure that the track can be used that weekend with the Bathurst Regional Council who are, partners with supercars in that event with the supercar calendar itself because mm-hmm. impossible to clash with the supercar event from a broadcasting point of view from a, a team and driver point of view as well yeah so there, there are a huge amount of moving pieces about that event and when it can go so is that the preferred date probably not from an aussie point of view i would go out on a legend really? say right okay I, I think the desire here is that for it to be February, but perhaps later February. But I get what what SRO uh, are trying to do. And, and remember, we talk about it every year uh, and, and until we're blue in the face, is that one of the challenges the 12-hour has always had is that being so early in the year, you, you miss the homologation cycle for GT3 cars. Yes. So GT3 cars get their papers for every year. Bathurst being so early, often they haven't done the BOP testing, they haven't done the homologation to get that, let's say, 2022 set of regulations finalised. So as a result, all the cars have to be the year prior homologation or backwards, if that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah exactly. I, I know that's that's always been a challenge for the race and, and the, the organisers between the technical department at SRO and Supercars technical department are trying to make that mesh together. I'm doing the meshing thing with my hands, realising I, I could tell radio, that. But, um, I could tell yeah. that. 
Um, so I think that's a thing. Look, uh, there is a new Audi coming as well because we've seen it running um, in uh, yeah, developmental. I've seen photos of that. that looks tremendous. Yeah, um, it's a big and... difference that car as well. The Evo Two, as they're calling it, we've seen it running in in Creventnik, and it's really clever the way that they're allowing their customers effectively. Uh, they're giving yeah. them a car and and letting them all have a go and fade back into the loop before before that homologation takes place. So that's a that's a good point, well made, Crailsy. I mean, l- let's be honest though. The, the Liquid Molly Bath is 12 hours. It's not an SRO event, is it? It is an event to which, for one class in the race, albeit the top class, uh, the SRO regulations are enacted and it forms their opening part of their international, intercontinental GT series as well. Mm. And and you're right, but and I, I don't want to talk down that relationship either, no. though, because it's been fantastic for, for both parties i sure. think having having win, the, win. the yeah correct having the acknowledged operators of gt3 racing globally as part of that race was very very important to establishing the 12 hour uh to where it is now in the global marketplace as being one of the top four or five long distance endurance races we say modestly but Flat i is. think most people would agree with that um yeah. in, in the world so that's been hugely important but at the same time the model of the 12 hour of local teams running GT3 cars, but the manufacturers sending their drivers down. And Audi, you just mentioned Audi, they are the perfect example of that. Correct. So, you know, your Rasts and your Vanderlinders of the world come down and drive with the Melbourne Performance Centre Audi Customer Sport Racing Australia team. That was where the whole idea of Intercontinental GT Challenge came from. Mm-hmm. So Bathurst is hugely responsible in that the IGTC model actually working. And they've they've since moved that across to the Indy 8-hour and the Kyle Army race, which is one I've got on my list of, of wanting to do. I'd love to go to that place. Um, so, look, it, it's been a really good relationship, and, and Supercars and SRO work together on the technical regs. It's been always been very, very collaborative, really positive between them. So, and, and look, they put a TBC next to that March date. So it, it's still up in the air. A lot of water's got to go under to the bridge yet. The ultimate... Number one sticking point, 100% will be our borders. Mm-hmm. And there is no argument that the later the race runs, the more chance there is of people getting into Fortress Australia next year. But at the same time, uh, it has to work with the rest of the Australian schedule. It, it's a piece of the landscape. It's a big piece, but, but it's, it's got to slide yeah. in with, that, with all the other moving elements. That's a really, really good uh, bit of insight there, Creelty, because obviously us internationals... Uh, are looking at it from our side of things and seeing the choices that would have to be made for uh, the international audience, the huge international audience that Lick Molly Bathurst has. And, and you know, and, uh, they're not inconsiderable Australian audience as well. Let's not forget a ridiculous percentage of Australia c- tunes into that on, on national network television. And, and you don't want those people that haven't been making a choice between that and Sebring uh, or that of the WEC. Um, you know, when, when qualifying's on, the WEC's on track and we've got new LMH cars at Sebring. Mm. Oh, that's... Yeah, um, yeah it's funny. The, the but you're, talk, you're we... interesting. You're, you're talking about it from an Aussie point of view and, and that's something that, that us internationals yeah. probably haven't considered. Yeah, 100%. And ultimately, there are 52 weekends in the year, probably 50 of them usable, and there are 
873,000 big motor races that all need to occur, aren't there? So, look, you're going to get you're going to get a clash at some point, and that, that's just the way the world works with so many high-level motor racing events. But the irony is the first tweet I saw going, oh, no, not that date, you can't put it there, was from Matt Campbell, um, <sighs> who more than perhaps any driver plying their trade on the international scene right now yeah. would, would have the biggest challenge in the world trying to pick between doing a WEC event and an IMSA event and doing the 12 hour and probably leaning towards Bathurst if it wasn't for those pesky contracts that he's got to, to be a well-paid factory Porsche driver. But yep, exactly. I think um, good point. I, I'm convinced it'll work itself out. And, and ultimately, ultimately we need to be prepared that it may happen on that weekend. Yep. And ultimately it will be a compromise for everybody involved. But I think at the same time, that is a sign of the times that we're in at the moment. And I think if the race happens in 2022, we need to feel lucky that we get a race at all, would be my opinion. And Whatever it looks like, Krilzy, even if the, yeah. uh, even if some of the manufacturers can't make it, because there's a finite yeah. amount of resources, a finite amount of cars, and, and with respect to Liquid Molly, you know, Porsche, all right, they can perhaps send a factory team, but their works team's going to be at the WEC. Exactly, correct. So... Although Porsche have got eight hundred and thirty thousand factory drivers, don't they? So I'm sure they can send a couple down. But but um, yeah, my my thought on the whole thing, and I'm not I'm not purposefully trying to sit on the fence with this because right now I've got no vested stake in the race other than being a fan. But um, my my thought is, if we get a twelve hour next year, we will be lucky to have a twelve hour. Yeah. And then we worry about things like date clashes and things like that in twenty three when things are going to be much, much more normal, whatever that is, mm-hmm. um, as it was in 2020 when we, we had such an amazing race. So that that would be, I would urge fans around the world, and, and I love the passion, John. I, I love the number of tweets that I got from 12-hour fans going, oh, how can, how can they do this? How can they clash? Mm. I get it. I get it totally. My only, all I would say to them is be patient, but if we get a race... You're just going to have to that. pull a 24-hour day in front of the television watching WAC, IMSA, and then the 12-hour. Um, and then we'll worry about Multiple those things when we, get back to, yeah, when we get back to more normal times in 23. That, that would be how I would, I would deal with it at the moment. That's how I'm dealing with it anyway. <laughs> Sage words, indeed. We'll talk another time, I think, um, about the, the future of supercars because, of course, supercars itself is up for sale and there's a connection between GTs and the people who are likely to buy it. But that's a, I think that's for another time. I'll, I'll, I'll let you go, but not after you've told us what's on the show on the grid this week. Uh, that's a very good question. So w- what we do have on the grid is a, an unbelievable track record of recording our show uh, and putting it live 12 hours or 24 hours later, as in the case of RS1, and everything having changed from the moment of us pushing stop on the recording and pushing go on the live button. And that very much happened this week. However, I will say that we have a really interesting discussion about the Adelaide Street Circuit. And ah, uh, for those that have followed... Thank you for mentioning that. Thank you yeah, for mentioning for those, that. For those that have followed what's going on, obviously the Adelaide 500 was cancelled by the South Australian government in the biggest ridiculous rubbish call that a government's ever made in this state. Um, and since then, there's been some calls from uh, people on the Adelaide City Council 
to remove the circuit itself from the, the permanent section of that circuit in the middle of Victoria Park. So that's where the pit lane is, the final hairpin, the last couple of corners. So obviously that got my hackles up and um, there's been plenty of campaigning. I, I can tell you right now that uh, the council met and there was a really positive response to not tearing it up, basically. And they're now talking about even to the point of heritage listing Excellent. to make sure that bit of bitumen, which dates back to 1985 when we had the first Australian Formula One Grand Prix, um, can be looked after. So good outcome. So we, we go into depth about that. Um, we talk more about these formats. We, we discussed a little bit about what you and I have talked about this morning or tonight, your time, uh, on this show um, about the Sydney events and, and what's going to happen coming up. And uh, generally, we just talk rubbish about car racing for uh, 55 minutes and have a good time about it as well. Uh, yes, <laughs> Krelzy talked to us from tomorrow, which is always completely... Uh, yeah, it just does my head in. It's it, These time zones, and it doesn't get any easier because we've just slipped into daylight savings. So oh. there are currently six different time zones in mainland Australia at the moment. It's hard to keep track of. Yeah, and some of them are half hours as well, which I remember when I, oh, yeah. I drove one of those. up mm. to... Yeah, mm, turn me watch upside down. It, it kind of works. Uh, Krelzy, thank you. Uh, thanks for getting up early to speak to us here on Midweek Motorsport. Can't wait for the show tomorrow. The pleasure's all mine. Always good to chat. See you soon. So that's On The Grid with Krilsey and the rest of the team tomorrow night on RS1. That's Thursday in the UK. Work the rest out yourself. And that is at 9 o'clock UK time. Sounds like it's another show that is uh, essential listening. You can subscribe from the archive page at radio-show.co.uk as well. Right, Tim, where would you like to go next? Well, now it's time for Nick Damon's team-by-team review of the Turkish Grand Prix. Hooray! Oh no, I've done that already, haven't I? You can do it again. <laughs> hooray for hooray for Turkey! And uh, yes, as we discussed earlier, uh, not great for the Turkish uh, tourist board as far as weather is concerned. No. Um, much better than last year because at least the cars had some grip, which always helps. Hopefully, the next Turkey we see will be at Christmas or Thanksgiving if you're in the US. Exactly, and there isn't a massive shortage. You've got to be first by turkeys now, boys. <laughs> Very difficult to find turkeys at the moment. It's not really seasonal. Luckily, I'm, uh, I live in a house full of vegans, and I, I'm only a meat eater, and I have beef on Christmas Day, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, let's get into the team-by-team team review, yes. and we'll start with uh, the abysmal Haas, uh, with <laughs> one driver who started okay and faded uh, terribly, and one driver who didn't even do that well. Oh, that's very unfair for Mick. Is it? Mick Schumacher didn't fade terribly. He was clunked off by Alonso. Yes, and then got stuck behind his teammate and seemed unable yeah. to overtake him for hours. And then, he overtook him. then he overtook him, was a second lap faster. No, Mick Schumacher actually put in a very good performance on Saturday and Sunday. He qualified excellently to get out of um, FP1 and uh, was very unlucky to be caught up in Alonso's uh, panicky recovery from his own accident on the first lap. So he was, he was knocked out of 15th place. And as you rightly say, behind his teammate, who's an idiot, and couldn't get past him until he managed. I think he got past him in the pit stop strategy. And actually, I think Mick drove very, very well this weekend and is showing some genuine talent. The kid in Mazepin managed to be an idiot again and almost uh, wiped off the nose of Lewis Hamilton's car as he's trying to overtake him, was consistently massive. I think he was three and a half seconds slower in qualifying, a second lap slower in uh, the race. And obviously, as time goes on, we realise the enormity of his dad's check. Well, let's move on to uh, um, a driver that Mick Schumacher couldn't catch, even though he spent some of the race on slick tyres. 
Aston Martin uh, yes. racing. Aston Martin, um, Sebastian Vettel, um, you know, in in a race of of let's guess and see what happens. Tire strategies was the one person who decided to try slicks. Oddly, he tried the mediums, not the softs. And I think if you if you, if you look under I mean, in the dictionary, fair, if, under, he, under, if he if he tried the softs, they wouldn't have lasted to the end of the race. So he'd have had to switch to another tire anyway, and that would definitely yeah, have been much slower. Yes, but I mean, interestingly, if you, I was just thinking. I, I looked under. Uh, I was looking at the dictionary earlier today under, under unmitigated disaster. It had pictures of Ashton Vettel in the 2021 uh, Turkish Grand Prix. I think he fell off in the second corner, fell off in the fourth corner, fell off in the sixth corner, and then actually fell off trying to get into the pit lane. Um, so that was one lap. But, yeah, it, but the point about it is, in fairness, and I'm not going to have a go at him because they were out of the points. It was a very, very static race, interestingly, if you think about it. You had two cars coming through from the back in Science and Hamilton, but the rest of it was really static. Um, so, you know, how are we going to make something happen? Let's try it because he was out the points at that point and it didn't work so you know you've got to throw a dice you know the, the, the def, you know if, you, if everyone if you do the same as everyone else you get the same result as everyone else and that result would have been 11th or 12th um that kind of worked in Lance Stroll's favor because he managed to get himself with a decent qualifying and a reasonable start into the top 10 in the points early on and that's where he stayed with a very solid unsurprising because Lance is very very good in the wet so he got some points not as good as he got last year here of course um, I think it'd be, where did he actually, I mean, it was pole last year, I can't remember, he, he tumbled down the field, where did he finish, he was like seventh at the end or something? When he finished? he was in the top six. I can't remember because he tumbled down, and, yeah, it, yeah I've, I've put, that's, I've part that one away to, to the worlds of history. Uh, <laughs> next is Williams. Yeah, I think it's a Tifi, um, after some very, very positive both PR and performances over the last few races had an absolute weekend to forget. Uh, didn't qualify particularly well. Spun on the first lap on his own. Spun a couple of times more. Looked off the pace. Um, still massively had a hass, obviously. Um, and just had a bad weekend, which can happen sometimes. Uh, George, not a little bit better. Uh, now stopped qualifying, which is the most annoying thing. This is one chance to shine. Um, should have got into, into Q3, but got the absolutely final corner completely wrong and, and was eliminated, qualified 30 to 40. It ended up 15th again. Very aesthetic, much, much further ahead at track-wise than Nicholas Atifi. But again, a, a race where Williams in these conditions were on a high to nothing. But if George had started near the front, who knows what would have happened, but at least he would have probably finished a couple of places higher. But yeah, not a, not a great weekend for Williams, but, you know, Russell average, Latifi below average. I've just looked it up. Lance Stroll actually only finished ninth in uh, the 2020 oh, Turkish there, Grand Prix. That matched it. So, yeah, that is his his level in Turkey. Yes. Uh, let's move on to Alpine. Alpine, Fernando Alonso qualified well and then got clunked by uh, Pierre Gasly on the first corner and then clunked Mick Schumacher two-thirds of that round and ended up with both... Uh, incurring a five-second penalty and giving a five-second penalty, which I think I've ever seen before in a lap. Um, this first of which I'll talk about later, but the second, which absolutely was a slam dunk for taking uh, Schumacher out. So, well, it didn't take him out, it was just misunderstanding, but it had the result it had, which was very disadvantageous to, to Michael. Uh, at that point, he got kind of mired, and, you know, after some very good Fernando performances, um, this wasn't one of them. Um, whilst we talk about Fernando, am I allowed to recommend televisual programmes? Yes, you are. Um, Amazon Prime has the second season of his Spanish-based fly-on-the-wall documentary. Um, it's really good. Uh, it's four episodes. It covers sort of, mar- sort of sort of 
April 2020 to April 2021. So it covers all this coming on board with uh, Renault slash Alpine. It's really interesting about how you navigate through the pandemic, through the testing. And there's some interesting insights about how the Spanish media uh, see his career, which is yeah, slightly different to how I think it's, it's portrayed in the English media. So you've got three or four hours. You've got Amazon Prime. I thoroughly recommend series two of the Fernando, which is called a lot, Fernando, it's called, I think, or a lot, it's called Fernando. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very good. And uh, does it make sense if you haven't seen series one? Yes, because series one actually was was a little bit more dis, uh, disjointed. I felt because it it does it, the series two covers his his relatively successful um, Indianapolis campaign, whereas of course it was a complete disaster the previous year. Um, actually, obviously, our listeners would probably might be more interested in series one because obviously he was still doing WEC then, so there is some WEC in it. So but, yeah, watch both series. I thought series two is better than series one because it's, an, it's more of an insight into his life rather than his driving, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so his, it, it being so disrupted by, you know, the pandemic and what he was doing and joining, it just has a little bit more insight. And they've also had a little bit more history of uh, look back into his career, spent a little bit more money on archive footage as well from F1, Ooh. from Fob. So obviously the budget went up. <laughs> uh, we'll move on to Alpha Tauri. So we haven't missed Ocon yet. Oh, of course we haven't, no. Um, outclass on Saturday, but outclass his teammate on Sunday. And, of course, is the only person to go completely through a race without a pit stop since Mikasala in 1997, because he didn't stop. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he, he hang on to 10th place by the tiniest of margins uh, as his tyres were down to the cords at the end. But he did get a point, which, you know, when you, if you're in a midfield team, you know, that's all you can do sometimes. Who was the last person to do it in a French car? Oh, I don't know that one. That's too, that's too difficult. Go on, tell me. It was only a year earlier. In 1996, was it Prost? No. No, I mean in a Prost. In a, in a Ligier, it wasn't sorry. In a, it was in a Ligier, yes. Olivier Panis at Monaco. It wasn't Olivier Panis at Monaco. He won. He, he did, by not stopping. I didn't, I didn't know he hadn't stopped. That's really interesting. I didn't realise he hadn't stopped. That's how he got track position. Yes, I just thought he stopped a different type of one else, that was all. Um, that's no, well, thank you for that. I didn't know that. It's a good bit of trivia, that. Uh, um, what are they going to do with his tyres? They're going to stick them on a mount them as a as a as a special gift to someone. Uh, they're going to mount them on the wall at the factory. Don't <laughs> blame them. Oh, the tyres are good. I mean, Pirelli get a lot of a lot of criticism, but I thought, that, but their intermediates have always been excellent, and they proved once again they do an excellent job on the intermediate. Now, shall we move on to Alpha Tauri? Yes, let's. Um, okay, Yuki Tsunoda. Uh, well, he made his, he made a. a a name for himself by by holding Lewis up for a few laps, and I'll discuss that more from Lewis's point of view in a minute, which was which was fine. Uh, then he spun off, which wasn't fine, and he didn't score any points. Um, it's not, you know, as we said before, Yuki Tsunoda's had one good weekend this year, and a few average. Unfortunately, it was the first race, and a few average ones. He needs a desperate reset. I mean, you know, he's the only person in the entire field who's desperately looking forward to uh, preseason preseason uh, preseason um, testing. Because it's at Bahrain again, um, yeah, not not particularly impressive one way or the other, to be honest. I mean, I'm sure we did a bit of a job with Lewis, as I said. Uh, Pierre Gasly um, out qualified Perez again, drove well. I think that car was probably finished six at probably where that car was. He perhaps with a different strategy could have been in the mix with um, Perez and uh, Leclerc on the first stint, but he didn't quite have the pace. So, yeah, no, a good performance by Pierre. Again, I mean, he's, he's doing what he could do in the Alfa I mean, it, the thing is, though, it's, it's a couple of situations where Yuki Snowden's 
is so off now and you, you don't kind of know how good Pierre is. He looks pretty good, but is yeah, you need a better teammate. Like Mick Schumacher, how well is Mick doing? Because, because you know, it has to be said that Nikita Mazepan is so dreadful, it's hard to know how good Mick is. You know, is he average? Is he a bit better than average? Who knows? Because you, you need a, the only sounding board in F1 always has been your teammate. And if your teammate's having an absolute nightmare, how good are you? You know, that's one of the things I think with Latifi having a couple of decent races, uh, three or four decent races over the last six or seven, it's given us a better idea where Russell is. You know, and, he, you know, and he is still you know, comprehensively better than Latifi, who's actually not as bad as we thought he was till last weekend. Uh, let's move on to McLaren. Yeah, another. Uh, yeah, after two great races, the pendulum swung, and that's the design of track pendulum, uh, which changed from just going very fast in a straight line and stopping to actually having to go around fast long corners quickly, which is not a strength of the uh, McLaren, where it is a strength of the Ferrari. And suddenly we see, yeah, the, 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 the swap rounds and plans aren't as good as Ferrari. Danny Rick very poor qualifying, uh, and then took a new engine to start at the back and ended up thirteenth. Uh, Lando again, very solid performance from Lando. Um, Qualified reasonably well, got into the mix, and then got stuck as a number. So if you look at, if you take out those two guys who started from the back, well, three guys at the back, but Ricardo didn't do an awful lot. They got a thirteenth. Um, you know, it was a very static race, despite all the overtaking we saw. And of course, every single overtake in Turkey was a genuine one because there was no DRS. At the second, uh... oh, I didn't. Sorry, I, I misread that. I thought say we've missed Alfa Romeo, but Alfa Romeo are next, aren't they? They are. Uh, this is the second consecutive uh, race where uh, McLaren haven't had Zach Brown on site. No, he was racing at the Estoril Historics, wasn't he? And moaning that he had an extra, a, a longer pit stop time because he was racing with an F1 driver. Also racing with the guy who won the World Endurance Sports Car Champions back in the 90s. So, you know, I mean, that's, that, what, that's probably more relevant. But yeah. apparently the penalty was because he had a former F1 driver, albeit one who never won a race and last sat in a car uh, competitively 25 years ago. Mm, well, you know, if you're going to stuck up to Martin Brundle, you know, who also wasn't obviously at the Turkish Grand Prix, um, that's that's what happened. But yeah, so Zach wasn't there, but the team, yeah, I don't think, yeah, I don't think Zach's that. I mean, fair, he's a good figurehead and it's good for the for the for the publicity, the PR side of it. But I don't think it's particularly important to the activation of Formula One team, to be honest. Uh, despite their extra twenty seconds in the pits, uh, Zach and Martin finished second, uh, but they were forty-one seconds behind the winner. See, the, I assume the winner was some guy we, we, we've never heard of, but actually, it's, it's you know, some sort of hot shoe in, in just doing that. Let's move on to Alfa Romeo, Sauber, and Andretti. Yes, or not, as the case may be. Uh, Riker and Giovinazzi finished very close to each other. Um, Giovinazzi only finished, I think, three quarters of a second behind Espenoc on his fading tyres. Um, a little bit of kerfuffle that. Uh, at one point, Sauber asked, um, sorry, asked Giovinazzi to let Raikkonen through. He said no. And the thought is, if Raikkonen had been let through, he could have got past Ocon. They would have got a point. Um, who knows? There's an awful lot of ifs and buts. And uh, this, this has been the, uh, the Grand Prix with the greatest ever um, reliance on hindsight as a way of actually judging whether someone did, did something right or not. Oh, no, I, you know, with hindsight, we obviously should have done that. Yeah, but it's always obvious with hindsight, isn't it? So the hindsight for Sauber is only one point either way. Um, yeah, and they were relatively, you know, 11th and 12th. Actually, unfortunately, there's no points there. It was a relatively good team performance for them. But, um, yeah, just outside the points. Uh, they have a problem. There's no, Unless they get a very, very lucky race, there's no way they'll get past the points or that George Russell and Williams have scored in the last four or five races. They are condemned to ninth place. 
Let's move on to our driver of the day for Turkey. And the first time he's ever got uh, voted as driver of the day, uh, and that's Carlos at Ferrari. Yeah, that's because there was no way the Dutch could vote for, in the wildest year, the Dutch couldn't really vote for Max, because he didn't do anything apart from say second all day. Um, so they had to vote for someone else, so they gave it to Carlos Sainz. Um, and fair enough, yeah, Carlos came from the almost dead last to eighth. He did some good passing, a little bit uh, robust on Sebastian Vettel, but they got away with it. It's tire to tire. Um, drove through the pack, and then he got stuck, but he got stuck at eighth place after getting through the other drivers. Um, you know, uh, you know, I think I think both he and Lewis suffered from there being no DRS available because, um, yeah, they, they, yes, you could overtake at a certain point, but, you know, in, with modern cars and that's supposed to change next year, you get close, especially on a single line as it was becoming more and more towards the end. You, had a, you, know, you, had, you never had a dry line, you had a less wet line. So you know, it was going off as well without a, a, an error advantage was always going to make overtaking very, very tricky. And his teammate, Charles Leclerc. Yeah, Charles. I mean, Charles did really, really well. I think. I think the, the, the obviously this is a track that suits Ferrari. Um, uh, probably Ferrari wish they hadn't taken the engine on Carlos's car because they were surprised it suited them. But it was a, the, the track itself surprised everyone by being so grippy. And Charles, of course, led a few laps. Uh, Charles uh, thought about going all the way on his tyres and bailed, um, as did the Lewis a bit later. But he bailed a couple of laps beforehand. But the, that's it, the damage was done fourth place. He had taken fourth place before the weekend. Possibly, um, yeah, I think again with hindsight, could have been third, but you know, not a bad result for Charles. And the car's looking better and better. And obviously, this is this is a, a big fundamental thing. Is that Ferrari are obviously still trying to come back from from a fuel flow gate, uh, and they're beginning to get more competitive, which is obviously a good sign for for Ferrari fans next year. Uh, Mercedes come next. Yeah, I, I, I think Lewis Hamilton can feel. Uh, well, I don't, I don't know if you can call the weather unlucky. The, the, the plan was, and it's interesting, of course, they took the penalty, but just for the engine to give him a 10 place rather than a full grid penalty because they say that only the up and downy bits have got a problem and the rest of it's fine. That's absolutely fine. Um, they set it up with a bit more downforce with the idea that he would be able to go fast on the corners and then he could use DRS to get people down the straight. But of course, it was damp, so there's never any DRS. Uh, he was a little bit careful with both the Honda drives he tried to overtake, which was, of course was uh, Sonoda at the start and Perez later. I think it was particularly interesting with Sonoda. He went up the inside of Sonoda at the second lap and Sonoda came back across him, not not in any, any way. But of course, one of the things about being at the front, as Lewis has been for the last seven years, you don't get used to fighting people in the middle of the field. You don't, He's got no idea. I don't think he's ever raced against Sonoda this year, possibly for about two minutes to Imola before Sonoda fell off. So he doesn't know what he's going to do. He's worried, of course, he's a Honda driver. So he, he ended up being incredibly conservative. And just as he was very conservative, he didn't force the issue with Perez because obviously he knows he needs the points. If you actually look at Lewis's, uh, this season, he's never really made any questionable attempts to get past anybody apart from Max because he knows he has too much to lose. So every other one of his passes have been very, very measured, very, very fair, um, very, very clean. The Max stuff, well, you know, getting past Max is difficult, and depending whether you're Dutch, British, or neutral, or whatever it is, you, you have your own opinions on who's to blame for the various comings together. But that's the only time where he, he'll hang it out. So that, that stifled his progress. Um, and the rest of it, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We now know, sitting here on Sunday night, or when, well, Wednesday afternoon now, uh, we know that he should have come in either the lap before or the lap after Sergio Perez came in. And that's obvious. Well, it's obvious now. But, you know, at one point, it looked like he made exactly the right call to stay on the tyres. And at one point, it didn't. And then it looked like he might get past Perez. On the, you know, it's, 
it's it's easy. Yeah, at the end of the day, he's taken an engine penalty. He's come fifth. Probably disappointed. The best he could have got was third. So he's lost a few points. And yeah, and he was frustrated at the end. Well, I'd be more I'd be more concerned if he wasn't frustrated at the end. This concept that you know no that drivers can't have a go at their teams or be upset is just ridiculous. He's a professional sportsman, disappointed. They should, you know, they should have a row. They should argue with their teams. It's fine. You know, I think we get to hear it all now. It doesn't mean anything. It's, you know, it's like anything. You get the heat of the moment. But, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's dis- Lewis will be disappointed. Uh, Red Bull will be happy. But it was just a little bit of bad luck. Stroke with a little bit of let's go for it and not coming off. So, uh, you know, good week. Yeah, a, a relatively good recovery. Not quite as good as it should have been, but one of those things. Bottas, on the, Bottas, on the other hand, was... Uh, great i mean i think you know we thought he would in a dry race we thought we have no problem leading and winning when it was damp we thought all oh, this could be a problem but didn't put a foot wrong or a wheel wrong or a tie wrong so once again but every now and again Bottas is brilliant and that every now and again was last sunday and his first win for every year yeah i mean yeah you know, he that is the point he's lost other wins he's not he's not a you know he's not the thing about Bottas is, and I think he's a very, very, very good driver. He's a little bit David Coulthard. It's like a, it's like it's like if David Coulthard could qualify well, um, because he qualifies really well. But the car has to be just where he wants it to get the maximum result. He's not good at going outside the parameters he likes, and that was a similar problem with with Coulthard, who always was, was always searching for a balance, often never existed, and wasn't that good at driving around it. Hence the reason, you know, Hackenham the more flexible, the more uh, flamboyant was able to get two world championships. I think Bottas is, is, is very similar. Um, he's doing a great sport job, did, did exactly the best job he could do for Mercedes and for Lewis by winning the race and reducing the amount of points and getting fastest lap that Max Verstappen could get. So, yeah, great. I can't, can't fault, you know, can't fault Valtteri. You know, last week, you know, two weeks ago, he was terrible and then got lucky. And this, this week, he was great. I think that's the first time anyone's ever described uh, Mick Ackerman as being flamboyant. In his driving style. Uh, a final team we're going to look at on Formula One team by team is Red Bull. Well, Red Bull, of course, who managed to survive the curse of the novelty livery. Um, you know, well, they didn't had... win, did they? Yeah, but they got second and third. But I think it's probably they, they haven't had many double, double podiums this year. Um, yeah, well, they weren't ever going to, it was obvious this, that, that, that this was probably this was the best result they could get a second and a third, and they got it. Um, Sergio Perez, poor qualifying, but made a good start, which made up for it. Drove well on the pace, fought off Lewis, you know, not yeah, great, not as good as Valtteri in the battle of the number twos, but you know, totally solid weekend. Uh, Max Verstappen, um, well, you know, what was the best Max to get out of that race? The answer is second. Well, he got second, and he did a good job. He drove really well. It's 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 just you know he was as he said he said only only a, a few minutes ago he was almost asleep. I mean I think it's interesting. Someone was saying you know, this is what he had to do last year. He was doing this, but we didn't really see it because he was doing it for second for third or fourth or whatever it was because the car wasn't good enough. Now the car's really really good. Sometimes you can't win, and therefore you come second, and that's it. And it's uh it's that's how you get you put together a championship. You got both him and Lewis putting together a championship, Max settles a second and Lewis has to be a little bit less aggressive in overtaking. Um, and it's all to play for with six races to go. A couple of those races are definitely going to favour uh, Red Bull. Um, the other four, three, three of them are new um, or partially new. We've got a brand new circuit in Jeddah. We've got a brand new circuit to them in Qatar. And of course, there's been significant alterations to Abu Dhabi. So the only track where you say probably Mercedes definitely have an advantage in these final six is the next one at the Circuit of Americas. So we can expect Lewis to win at uh, Cota? Well, 
well, there's, no, there's so many twists at the moment that you kind of kind of wonder what's going to happen. I would think that the, I think leaving Turkey, you would expect the Mercedes to be the faster car in Austin. By how much I don't know, what will happen between in, in, you know with all the various strangers, who knows? And then of course we go to Mexico, where you definitely know that the Honda is going to be the quicker car, and then you go to uh, Brazil, where in all likelihood history tells us that the Red Bull will be quicker. Again, they're altitude tracks, and and the you know the safety is not as good on altitude because of the way its turbo works. Uh, Nick Damon, thank you very much for joining us again tonight on Midweek Motorsport. <laughs> Got a lot of tweets about what he was saying there. Uh, of course. Very quickly, because we're running, we're running out of time. Uh, if I can get my tweet deck to. Well, while you're getting that uh, ready, I'll tell you what's happening on the Simcast tomorrow night yes, at eight on do. RS One, yes. uh, where Matt and Jordan Jordan uh, will be talking about Brazilian stock cars, which are incoming to iRacing. Uh, Valhalla arrives in Forza Horizon 5 and there's news about Imola coming to Formula 1 2021. That's the Simcast tomorrow at 8pm here on RS1 and after that uh, on the grid uh, which Krells is already promoted heavily. Uh, This from the real slim Glearkey says whilst I respect Nick's opinion time surely it's now time that people realise that Gasly is talented no matter who his teammate is. He's frequently as quick as Perez and no one is saying that the Alpha Tori is the third best car. Yeah? No? Don't disagree? Don't disagree with that? Uh, I, I understand what Nick's saying. You can only judge people on, you know, what's going on there. But, yeah, fine. Uh, we've had a packed show tonight. We have a brand new inside story to come straight after us. There's always mm. been a, a very close relationship between motorsport and timepieces. And there's something about nice watches and motorsport that goes together. It's not just about timing laps. Uh, so we'll be looking at the brand that is Amoligato uh, with its founder next on RS1. But we've got time to squeeze in a couple of more stories, I think. We do. And we need to talk about DTM which uh, we've oh, neglected we? this season. Oh. Uh, going into the uh, final race on Sunday, uh, who was leading the championship? Uh, leading the championship... Was New Zealand's... Uh, was um, Ferrari driver, Liam Lawson. And Sorry. Uh, second <laughs> in the championship was... Kevin von der Linde. Of South Africa. And yeah. uh, Third what happened with Maxi at... Gertz. What happened at turn one? Uh, what happened at turn one is Kelvin von der Linde went down the inside and over the kerb and drove into Liam Lawson and put them both out on the side, the side of the track. Well, to be fair, Kelvin van der Linde continued and uh, raced on for quite a long time until uh, he made contact with another driver uh, two-thirds of the way, three-quarters of the way through the race. Hmm. Um, yep. That means that Maxi Gertz won the race, who was third in the championship. No, 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 no. Wind back. That didn't mean that Maxi Gertz, Gertz won the race. What meant that Maxi Gertz won the race was that all the Mercedes ahead of him slowed down by um, three, four, five seconds a lap. 
and gave up a 15, 20, 25 second lead to let him go through. And, to, and then drove three wide across the track because Nick, in doing that, the back themselves all back up towards Nick Cassidy, who was in the only other Ferrari in the race, Liam Lawson's teammate, and who was way quicker than all of them. And basically, they put Liam Lawson into the wall. It, it was shameful. It was well, Lawson shameful. Lawson already had broken suspension, so he wasn't competitively no, no, fast no, no, no. anyway. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter because Gertz had to win the race. Yes. If Cassidy had got past those Mercedes and been able to been allowed to challenge for the race victory, then Lawson could Lawson could still have won the race. But the Mercedes made sure that they didn't. They drove two and three wide across the track and ultimately drove into him. Basically, neither of the German manufacturers or their drivers come off good in this. There were only two Ferraris in the race, in the championship and they had a phenomenal opportunity to win the race at the weekend. I did spot Norbert Haug on the grid before the start of Sunday's race, which I watched all the way through, actually. And um, it's back to the bad old, bad old days when Audi felt the need to withdraw their cars because of the overly aggressive tactics of Mercedes and Wolfgang Ulrich took the cars off the track and said look if that's the way you want to race that's race that was shameful it was absolutely shameful and neither of the German manufacturers come out very well you can you can look at what you can look at what happened with Kelvin van der Linde and say he couldn't win the race if he was broken so driving into his his championship contender wasn't going to help him because he couldn't know that he that he could break him and not break himself. I think that was a misjudgment. I think it wasn't a great start from Fantalinda, but I think what happened later on from Mercedes was even worse, even worse with what went on with Nick Cassidy and in the Ferrari. And the fact that nobody's talked about that, I think, is ridiculous. I also think that Liam Lawson only getting a five-second penalty at his pit stop probably didn't fit the crime given what happened and I don't understand and nobody's been able to explain this to me yet why they let Liam Lawson out in a broken car if that had been NASCAR he wouldn't have made minimum speed and he would have been black flagged there was absolutely no reason for him to be out there didn't I hear a bit of radio where they told him to turn the engine off yeah but then they told him to go back out Hmm. it was and he kept saying the steering is broken the steering is broken. And when you saw the onboard, he was he almost had his, his his right hand at the top of the steering whilst it was in the place it should have been when it was at three o'clock. It you know, it was it was a quarter of a turn out. Anyway. Um anyway, Kevin Ferrari won't be back. Uh, um, <laughs> apologized to uh, Liam Lawson. Yes, and and he he did because and I genuinely don't think that was team orders. But it absolutely was, for me, it was team orders um, from the Mercedes. And I, and I think it was pretty poor. I've got some I, more single-seater news as well. Go uh, on, quickly. Because, very quickly, the teams that are taking part in next seasons, and in fact the next three seasons of the FIA Formula 3 Championship, is not Formula 3, uh, have been announced. They are ART, Campos, Carlin, Chiruz, Hitech, Jensa, MP, Prima, Trident, and Van Amersfoort Racing, which is the new team to the championship and replaces HWA Race Lab. 
uh, and Bruno Michel, who runs the championship, said, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank HWA Race Lab for their commitments to Formula 3 for the past three seasons, during which they claimed four wins and ten podiums. Mm. But they didn't mm. get a place in the future. Um, the responsible adult, and I'm going to say this because she's she's put it... On, in, on my in screen front of in your front eyes, of me. yes. Yes, absolutely. Therefore, this is considered. Eve says that was worse from team than, than team orders. That was race fixing by Mercedes. I'm going to leave that there. I am going to leave that there. At Speculatement, I think there'll be more about that. Uh, stay tuned. Amoligato, the story of the watches, the brand, the passion for motorsport with the founder. It's a brand new inside story. It comes next. Uh, we'll be back next week, including, of course, the Himalayan Gorilla Rally uh, preview. Not which Himalayan. I... Rwandan Mountain Rwandan, Gorilla sorry, yes. Rally. Yes, Round five can't... of the African Rally Championship. Uh, everything to play for. It could be wrapped up next weekend. Uh, the title could be won. That full preview uh, it's next week on Midweek Motorsport. Stay tuned, as I say, for Inside Story. Uh, no time to explain. The Lama's going to look at new bathrooms. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts.